Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. <laughs> and John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is with me in studio. What are you wondering about, John? Yeah, the, no, I just, the magic button, is it? Well, no, I've been here for so long and I've never spotted this button. It says, yeah, profanity delay on it. So if I want to say something <laughs> profane, I press the button or do I say something profane and then press the button? Well, yes, I'm not sure if it's profane uh, in, in, in your um, uh, sort of um, idea of what that might mean. But anyway, um, how are you doing, John? Very good, yeah. Good, good stuff. Yeah. Um, you're going to talk to us today about wonderful uplifting subjects yes. like repossession, and yes, bankruptcy, and and bankruptcy and mm. arrangements. Yeah. We've done a couple this year actually, and it seems to, there seems to be a kind of a a shifting, despite the recent comments of our our member of the banking institution about tracker mortgages. It was outrageous, and wasn't it? It was totally insensitive. Yeah. I mean, there was an insensitivity by the banks, I think, that has spanned, I'd say, the last 10, ten years, I'd say, since this whole thing happened. And it was, it when you were dealing with them on our side of it, I mean, I'm a personal solvency practitioner, or even as a lawyer when you're trying to deal with them. I mean, there are a number of options open to you when you're trying to deal with banks. You know, you can try and negotiate a deal with them. You can either do a personal solvency arrangement with them or a debt settlement arrangement with them. You can go down the bankruptcy route. But it's it's really incredible. And I think the, you know, the, the new uh, data protection uh, GDPR yeah. legislation, that's almost given them another excuse to be mm. as rude as possible with you yeah. because when you get on the phone to them and you say I, I act for so and so not so and so obviously but I act for Joe Bloggs I'm a personal service practitioner I'm a sister and I'm looking after them historically you know in the past somebody would accept that you were a lawyer and if you said you're looking after somebody that you were looking after them, now you're put through the ringer in terms of, well, I won't talk to you until you've got a letter of authority and I need that signed by your uh, client and I need it physically on my desk. And then, oh, you may have sent it to us, but we didn't get it. So and slowing so, everything and it down. slows everything yeah. down. And it causes incredible stress on the mm. part of people trying to deal with it. I mean, it's stressful enough trying to deal with it on behalf of somebody but you can just imagine what it's like for people themselves and I mean slowly little by little you know almost inch by inch over the last five years 2013 that's six years now or 2012 was the Insolvency Act so you're talking about that over that period of time little by little we suddenly started to try and deal properly with the issue of, of outstanding debt this massive hangover that we've had since the good times if you know what I mean but <clears throat> I mean one of the I think there was an article there I kind of didn't read it but I just spotted it the corner of my eye in the paper there about that you know couples are, are having to work an extra day a month or whatever to try and cover debt but leaving that all aside for a second one of the positive things that they did introduce because there was a huge disconnect in my experience, between the various kind of 
arenas, if you like, that deal with debt. Because if, for example, you've got your personal solvency practitioner and with the personal solvency practitioner, what you're looking at is a new scheme where you can either deal with deal with a bankruptcy and or you can deal with what we call, uh, you know, financial arrangements, their debt settlement arrangements or we won't get into the finer points of it, but I mean, basically they're just deals or arrangements, but they're in a very formulaic kind of system so that you can, you go through a series of steps in order to get an arrangement in place. You've got the, and you know, historically there was a lot of issues with that because initially there was a veto by the banks and then they watered down the veto by allowing an appeal if it was if the family home was involved. But then you had a kind of a huge, huge kind of lack of uh, understanding, stroke cooperation by the various entities involved in it. So that took a good couple of years to get actually get up and running. And I have to say that over the last, I mean, if you think about it, I'd say, without fear of contradiction, about 70% of the people that got involved from a professional point uh, perspective in the whole arrangement scenario are no longer in it because it was just totally and utterly mm. unworkable. It has actually changed now in the last recent past, in the last year or so, in that either just through time or through people becoming more familiar with it or things actually happening and it being productive to actually put an arrangement in place. Mm. Well, they've offloaded an awful lot as well to, well, to, to, to the vulture funds, vulture haven't they? Fund, yeah. yeah, and mm. because of that, maybe they have more room to, to manoeuvre. But but some mm. uh, one pip in particular mm. uh, told me it was almost easier to deal with vulture funds than it was to deal with the banks. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been dealing with the banks now over the last while, and, you know, it was, you would certainly agree that it was easier, that it might be arguably easier to deal with them than the banks, but that's changed, thankfully. You still have, it's still extremely difficult, you know, to kind of open the lines of communication and get and keep them open. But, I mean, I have found, like, you know, for example, you're dealing with revenue, you're dealing with social welfare, you're dealing with the banks, you're dealing with the various lender, the various institutions, you're dealing with credit unions, etc., etc. But everybody can have, have, have up their game and realise, look, listen, we're wasting a huge amount of resources in trying to resolve a problem which ultimately is costing a lot more to resolve than it should be. And if we streamlined it and did it a little bit more effectively we might get there, you know. But one of the other... So so I have certainly found that arrangements are working and that they're start, you're starting to get to an end game with the arrangements. And that's number one. Number two, obviously, the bankruptcy option is something that I've always advocated. Uh, it's a last resort, but sometimes it's the only resort that you have. And it is it is relatively clean cut now compared to what it had been prior to this, in that you're in bankruptcy for a year, you're in income, an income payment order situation, as in you're paying a certain amount of income out over another period, a full period of three years. But effectively, you're in, you're out, it's dealt with, and you draw a line in the sand and you move right. on. So and can you hold on to the family home? Well, you can, yeah, but again, that's a rather complicated question because it depends on all the circumstances. If that's a real lawyer's answer, isn't it? It really depends very much on whether the house is in negative equity or not. It depends on... Because, you see, what happens with the family home is that 
If it's a negative equity, and negative equity being if there's a lot more money owed in the house than it's worth, in that kind of scenario, the lender is going to stay out of the bankruptcy and yeah. your interest in the house goes to the assignee in bankruptcy, but it comes back to you if the house doesn't come into positive equity. In other words, if it doesn't appreciate mm. enough in value. So yes, you can end up retaining the family home in a bankruptcy. You can also lose the family home in a bankruptcy and you can also lose the family home in an arrangement. But in an arrangement situation, the kind of the family home is much more centre stage than it is in bankruptcy, mm. if you know what I mean. And I mean, I had a couple of very interesting cases with the assignee in bankruptcy when it comes to the family home, but that's for another, another day. The other arena that is the one that kind of crossed my vows in the last week or so. Uh, there's an article published in the my my I was going to say my local rag, but my steady, my, steady, <laughs> in, not my local rag, but in my uh, the, my organisation, the losses that he published the Gazette. I hope they're not listening to me, but anyway, they published the Gazette, and they have uh, quite a number of interesting articles that you'll read, and one of them that they they publicised, if you like, which had come across my bows when it came out in July, and it's the La- the Land and Conveyancing Law Reform Amendment Act 2019, and it amends uh, it amends the previous legislation, which was in the 2013 uh, Amendment Act. Now, what the hell is that to you? In the 2013 Amendment Amendment Act. It was always the case that you could go in where, you know, a lender was looking for possession of the family home uh, and you they what they have to do is they have to go into court and get an order for possession. So they have to get the court to confirm that they're entitled to possession of the family home. In those circumstances, it was the case since the 2013 Act that you could go into court if you were the mortgagee, I love mortgage or mortgagee because it always confuses me for as long as I'm doing law, I'm always wondering which is mortgage or which is mortgagee but anyway, if you're the borrower let's go borrower, Mm. lender, it's easier if you're the borrower you can go into court and you can say, listen, I want an adjournment for a period of time and you would automatically uh, automatically be in the practice locally. You'd automatically get your adjournment for a period of time on the basis that you would then go to somebody like myself, personal service practitioner, and you would go about investigating the whole process of could you put an arrangement in place that might deal with the family home. So th- that was fine. And uh, that's been the case since 2013. But there's, there was a bill, is it Boxer Morn? Is that the name yes. of the politician? Mm-hmm. Boxer Morn. Yeah. yeah, he, he introduced, I always think it's a great name, isn't it? Uh, he introduced a proposed piece of legislation that int- would introduce what was termed proportionality into the whole process because if if you just come back a second and look at the scenario where you're looking for possession so if I give you money and I'm a bank and I give you money on a property that you buy a family home or whatever uh, and you don't pay me under kind of fairly un- not unusual terms I'm entitled to take possession of that sell it and realise what you owe me out of the sale of it and 
as a matter of law, all I've got to prove is that I asked you for the money and that you wouldn't give it to me. So that I, I issued a demand to you. Now, obviously, you've got to prove, I've got to prove that my mortgage is okay and that all the technical mm. requirements are okay. But if we assume for a second that all that is okay, well, then <clears throat> under those circumstances, if I've made the demand and you haven't paid me and you go into arrears, under those circumstances, I can go into court and I can get an order for possession. And the problem with it was that that was it kind of thing in, from a proof point of view. All I had to do was prove there was a mortgage, prove that you were in arrears and prove that you hadn't paid me and ergo the shin, I then got my order for possession. So you can imagine the havoc that that wreaks in a situation where we come out of the Celtic Tiger period where people are in trouble all over the place in terms of trying to meet their financial commitments because of, of the the caps or fallout and then combine that with the whole issue then uh, of the house being in arrear in negative equity and that you can't sell it and realise and get any value out of etc. So Boxer Moran came up with this concept that we should introduce some sort of proportionality. And proportionality is kind of one that I would commonly come across when you're dealing with European law, because European law has a couple of kind of principles in it, one of which is proportionality. And proportionality is really what it sounds like, that everything is taken in proportion to the... So when you put everything together, you know, it's kind of trying to balance everything in a way that you're balancing all of the facts in favour of both sides so it's not you're not just looking at an order for possession based simply on the fact mm. that you owed the money and you didn't pay it so and there was a whole load of uh, sorry there was a whole line of arguments made and I remember attending a meeting in Dublin about this where it came from Europe where there was an argument that was being made in Spain and various other countries because they were covering the same type of scenario as we were where they were arguing European law and they were saying that the European law should apply to the domestic law, Irish law or in, or in the case of Spanish law and if you apply the European angle one of the elements of European law is proportionality so if you like that's a short little my rendition of where Boxer mm. might have got the idea, the idea of personality. Yeah. Now, so what they ha- what they did. So to make a long story short, what they did do then is they introduced the 2019 Act, which is the usual scenario. You know, the opposition come up with a nice piece of legislation. It looks good, so you'd say no, but then you come back in again and you right. introduce it yourself. It's not an uncommon occurrence, as you know. Indeed. Oh, you old cynic, you. Um, <laughs> so that's in place now. That's now right. in place. So, so that gives a judge yes. a, a much wider yeah, scope yeah, then, is yeah, that yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, OK. I'll take a break. <laughs> we'll be right back in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors uh, still with me in studio. We're talking repossession, I suppose, would be the headline, wouldn't it, John? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the new legislation, just to kind of round it off if you like the new legislation now basically says that if somebody i.e. a lender goes and look for an order for possession and if the case was adjourned historically adjourned or previously adjourned because you're going to a person's house as a practitioner 
or if it wasn't adjourned and the adjournment was refused, or if in this case, if you were if you were in a situation where you were participating in what they call a designated scheme in good faith or in good faith with a designated scheme or you've engaged a personal solitary practitioner so let's just come around a second it's all to do with adjourning the application and the court has an in, had always since well not always but had since 2013 was able to adjourn but could only adjourn and send you off to consult with a PIP mm. or send you off to check with a PIP full stop end of story if you know what I mean mm. now the practicality was was that if you went to a PIP personal so I better call it myself personal service practitioner yes. PIP sounds yes. like an apple or something but anyway if if I consulted if you consulted me and I went about doing an arrangement obviously what would happen is if you come to me to do an arrangement and you've been referred by the court or you've come from the court who had adjourned the order for possession so that you come and talk to me as a PIP. Under those circumstances, I, if there was a real prospect of putting together some sort of a deal for you, if you know what I mean, through this formal mechanism of an arrangement, under those circumstances, I would immediately apply for a protective writ and a protective, not a protective writ, a protective certificate. The protective certificate has the effect of freezing everything anyway. So everything kind of goes into stasis and nothing moves in terms of recovery or anything like that. So when you've got your protective certificate, you're in that protective zone for a period of 70 days and you can get an extension. And the reason for the protective zone is that during that time, the PIP, personal service practitioner, puts together a deal with a view to trying to get you sorted financially. Right. So that's so if you like to a certain extent if you come out of the court system and you go into the personal service arrangement scenario you will then end up dealing with the family home anyway in the context of a personal service arrangement. So in an awful lot of cases where people came out of the court scenario and effectively went to the personal service practitioner they could everything being equal get to a situation where they would deal with a scenario which would drop out the application for insolvent uh, for possession and then put the whole thing in the context of an arrangement but what this right. now does is and it's kind of a little bit more specific about this adjournment and it's now saying that if you participate in a scheme or you go to a PIP now the first bit of it isn't sorted yet. The first bit of it is if you participate in good faith in a designated scheme and like all of these things there ain't a designated scheme as of yet. I presume there will be in early course isn't that what you'd say? There will be in due course or early course course, you'd say that if you get into the designated scheme but now in the past it was very discretionary on the part of a court as to what they take into account. You may take this into account. But the lovely thing about legislation sometimes is if you find the word shall in a piece of legislation it makes it imperative absolute that you must take it into account. And now the legislation have switched the may take into account into a shall take into account. So the, the, the legislature 
is now directing the courts so and saying absolute. that you must take certain things into account. And what it says is you must you must take proportionality into account. So it, before this, there was no such requirement to take it into account. Now it's introduced. And it's a very interesting one because, you see, it also asks you to take into account was there any arrangement... Or, sorry, not arrangement. I won't use the word arrangement. Was there any offer hmm. by either par- either side of this, the thing, either the, the borrower or the lender, to sort the thing out? Because... I had a number of situations which were, you know, we started with the frustration of trying to deal with lenders some of the times. And some of that frustration would be, you'd be in a situation where you'd have a client who would say, look, there's an order for possession or there's an application for an order for possession. My client, can we get the property valued? Yeah, okay, we'll get it valued. Oh, I'm putting a figure of X on it. And they go, no, we don't like X we think it's why. And I had a situation where, even though I didn't agree with the why, the client said, look, I have a relative, family relative or whatever who would like to see me stay in the home and will raise the, the funds to pay them the why. And no answer. What? Absolutely no answer. Are you serious? Yeah. But there was no way to bring that into the arena, the court arena. Right, the court right. wasn't interested because the court said, well, I'm only here to see whether the right. proofs are and in order. And can that be brought in now? Yes. So that's part of the yes. proportionality. So that's part, well, it's both part of the proportionality and it's also specifically set out in the section. So the interesting thing about it, and again, uh, it might be if they designated, it might be, but I mean, effectively what you're looking at now is that they have to look at any proposals that have been made by either the lender or right, the, the, right. The, the borrower. It's very, very interesting. And the same thing applies, okay, we're talking about banks there, but the same thing applies to an, an investment oh, group, yeah, uh, yeah, a vulture yeah, fund or whatever yeah. way you want no, to... No, no, well, this is the family home you're talking about. This is simply, this is restricted to the family home. Right. It only covers the family home. This is... This but but is, that could still be in the possession. Well, a vulture fund may look for a repossession. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And in but that what case, I'm saying is that this, the subject matter of the application has to be a family okay, home. Okay. It's limited to a family home, not to an investment property. Okay. However, in the case of an investment property, you can make an application for an adjournment, but you don't have the same strict requirements. Right. When you're dealing with I, I presume, John, that the negative equity now is not as big a deal because with the rising house prices, is it? And they're not rising as much down the country as they are in elsewhere, if you know so what I mean. So it's still but an Dublin, issue. Oh, it's still an issue, yeah. still yeah. an issue. But And one of the funny things, and I'll just finish on this note, one of the funny things, I remember I was in the High Court, went to the Court of Appeal, argued the case myself on behalf of a client up the country, actually, um, about the whole thing in negative equity. And we'd been arguing for about it now client the client was out of bankruptcy right and before you get out of bankruptcy you can have a situ- sorry when you get out of bankruptcy sounds like getting out of jail but you know what I mean when you're out of bankruptcy the family home stays in the bankruptcy process for a period of three yes. years until the third anniversary right and two days or three days before the expiry period, the client got served proceedings 
to sell the family home. Wow. Literally within days, somebody kind of looked at it and went, oh, God, I think we're out of time here. And they went moving on it. And it was quite incredible how fast they went about selling the papers, etc. Anyway, it was, a, I was going to say it was, a, it was an interesting case, but maybe not so interesting for the client. But the, the, the thing that became really kind of, what's the word? hard to manage. This was outside Dublin, but close enough to Dublin to, to answer your question was, it, does it become a factor? Like, it was slipping because of the market conditions that were beginning to prevail. The house was suddenly starting to acquire a very significant value for the assignee in bankruptcy. Uh-huh. Because, you see, what happens is, when you go into bankruptcy, you're, for that period of three years, it will come back to you after three years if it's a negative equity. But if it's in positive equity, the assignee can sell his stroke, your interest, if you know what I mean. Used to be your interest in the family home. And in this case, it was the husband who went bankrupt. So the wife still had an interest in the family home. But the assignee in bankruptcy went to sell the husband's interest, which he got when he went into bankruptcy. And you had this creeping creeping, rising, rising market value. So so what happened? We did a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should have known. I should have known. John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors in Clonmel.